Well, hello, everyone. Isn't it good to be back at Sisterhood? I am loving this series that we are just beginning on the uh, women of the Bible. And today's story comes from 2 Kings chapter 4. And this story is about a woman from a town called Shunem. And the Bible doesn't give us her name. It just says she's from Shunem. And that's where we get the title of this lesson, The Shunammite Woman. All right, so Shunem was a town that the prophet Elisha used to to visit frequently. And when he would come to town, this woman, the Bible says she compelled him to eat in her home. So she fed him. And over time, she uh, said to her husband, I really think we need to put a room on our home so that whenever the prophet comes to town, he has somewhere to stay. So that's what they did. Now, Elisha, of course, was very grateful for this, and he wanted to do something to bless the woman, so he asked, what, what can I do for you? And she said, nothing. I don't need anything. So she left the room, and Elisha, still wanting to bless her, said to his servant Gehazi, how can we bless this woman? And Gehazi pointed out, well, you know, this couple doesn't have any children, and this woman, husband, her husband was too old to have children. Elisha said, that's it, bring her back in. So she came back in the room, And that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 16. It says, next year at this time, Elisha said to this woman, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, do not deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day, when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly, he cried out, My head hurts. My head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. She carried him up. She laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door, and she left him there. Then she sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it is well. So she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, it is well. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught a hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone, she is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel, take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead, and he laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him, The child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child indeed was dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone, and he shut the door behind him, and he prayed to the Lord. 
Then he laid down on the child's body. He put his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up. He walked back and forth across the room once and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time, the boy sneezed seven times, then opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. She fell at his feet. She bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and she carried him downstairs. Isn't that an amazing story? Now, I don't know if any of you have a list like this, but I have a list of people that I want to meet when I get to heaven, and this woman is on the list. How was she able to believe for this miracle? Do you know that this was only the second recorded instance in Scripture where somebody was raised from the dead? The first time it happened, it happened with the prophet Elijah, who was Elisha's mentor. He raised a woman's, a widow's son from the dead. And likely, Elijah told Elisha, and Elisha likely told this woman in one of his many visits in her home. And if that's how it happened, that would have given this woman one instance to believe that this was even possible. And yet she believed. That is amazing faith. And it's worth examining. So we're going to examine her faith today. Now, the Bible tells us to walk by faith. We know that. But do you know, acting on faith doesn't always look the same in every situation that we face. Sometimes faith contends. To contend means to strive, to struggle in opposition, to use earnest efforts to obtain or defend and preserve. So then Jude, in chapter 1, verse 3, Jude said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude says here, we must use earnest efforts to obtain and then to defend and to preserve our faith against all opposition. So contending then looks a lot like warfare. God gives us, usually he gives us our blessings in promise form. Did you ever notice that? You don't just too often just receive something. Normally he gives you a promise, you believe that promise, and then you see that promise happen in your life. So if God gives you a promise and you believe that promise, there is gonna be a battle to keep what was delivered to you, as Jude said here. And that battle takes place in your mind. We need to get to the point where our thoughts line up with what God said, instead of allowing our thoughts to just go wherever it is they would naturally go when we face different situations. Because if you're like me, that's not a good place. All right, so that's contending faith. Sometimes faith looks more like rest. And we see that, that the, we see examples of both in this story, but we do see that this woman got to a place of quiet trust in the Lord. This Shunammite woman, though, she, wasn't, she didn't just lay down and take a nap. This wasn't a rest of inactivity. She was very active. But her actions came out of a place of peace. They become, came out of a place of quiet trust in the Lord. Now, she had not done that. If she had just fallen apart, nobody would have blamed her. She just lost her son, her only child. But she didn't want to allow her grief 
to move her out of a place of faith and rob her of her miracle. So she refused to think any other way than what God said. Now, there are times when you and I need to contend in faith, and there are times when we should be resting in faith, and we need to know the difference. Because sometimes we contend when we should be resting, and we rest when we should be contending. Now, Jesus is our perfect example, of course, of how to do both of these things, and we're gonna look at some three examples of this kind of faith in his life. So the first one is found in Matthew chapter 16. It says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. This is contending faith. See, Peter allowed Satan to use him as a mouthpiece, as a spokesperson, to try and undermine Jesus' determination to go to the cross. So what did Jesus do? Took that thought captive immediately. And he, I, I love the phrase he used here. He said, No, see, that thought, it isn't mindful of the things of God. See, that's not a thought that lines up with the way God thinks. And Jesus only thought what God thought. So he contended here. When an opposing influence, when an opposing point of view was presented to him, he used earnest efforts, such as rebuking Peter, to to make sure that that influence didn't have any impact on him. All right, let's look at another example. Second one is found in Gethsemane. So again, Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he enters this garden of Gethsemane to pray. So Mark chapter 14 says he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Then he went a little further and he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found his disciples sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right, this again is contending. You know Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to bear the sins of the whole world. He agonized over this assignment. And while he contended to keep his will lined up with the Father's will, what were his disciples doing? Sleeping. They were resting. Do you see they had it backwards? They should have been contending in faith. Jesus told them to watch and to pray. All right, let's look at one more example. of rest. This time it's an example of resting in Jesus' life. Now, there's a story in the book of Mark about a storm that Jesus and the disciples find themselves in. It's found in Mark 4. It says, a great wind storm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, 
He rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. All right, so Jesus here is peacefully sleeping, and this time the disciples are contending. Only they weren't contending in faith, they were contending with the storm. But again, they had it backwards. Instead of contending with this storm, they should have been resting in the knowledge of who it was that was in the boat with them. Jesus slept through this storm. Why? He knew it was no threat to him. He knew that that natural storm had no authority over him. So when the disciples got all panicked and woke him up, what did he do? He just released the peace that was already in him to the storm that was raging around them. This is resting in peace. So then according to Jesus' example, we can see that we contend in faith when we need our minds and wills to be aligned with God's mind and God's will. All right, you could say we contend so that we can make sure our thoughts are mindful of the things of God. We're thinking his thoughts. Then we rest when our hearts have confidence to the point where our circumstances no longer move us. We remain in a peaceful state. Now the Shunammite woman reached this place of quiet trust and fully understand and appreciate what she went through because her story proves that it's possible in the worst of circumstances. If this mother could, re- could get to a place of quiet trust in the Lord at the death of her only child, then you and I can, can learn to do this too. We can learn to trust the Lord. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. So then according to this passage here, entering rest is to cease from your works and to rest in the finished work of Christ. So that means we understand, we find out what was included in, the, in what Jesus did for you on the cross. What did he mean when he said, it is finished? Do you know it's more than just forgiving your sins? So we find out what, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and then we rest in that, in that knowledge of what he did. The writer of Hebrews says here, we have to be diligent to enter that rest. The King James Version said we must labor to enter rest. Uh, Listen to the Amplified Translation. It says, therefore, let us be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter the rest of God so that we can know and experience it for ourselves. So this seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But we have to exert ourselves, we have to strive diligently, we have to labor in order to rest in order to rest in the finished work of Jesus instead of depending upon our own works, upon our own abilities, upon our own intelligence. It's a labor to not rest in ourselves, but to rest in the Lord. So then this verse in Hebrews really is saying we must contend to rest. Now, uh, uh, how long do we do that? How long do we contend? We do it until peace comes. And here are some things about contending that we don't do. We do not contend with God to try and get him to move. God doesn't need to move. We need to move. 
all right? We also don't contend with the devil to try and make him obey the word. He doesn't have any choice but to obey the word when a believer stands in faith upon that promise. And lastly, we do not contend with our circumstances nor with the people involved in the situation. That is not where the battle really lies. We contend to get ourselves in line with what God said. Just like Paul said in, in Romans chapter 12, we take our thoughts captive and we make them obey Christ. That's contending. Now, once we've won that battle, then we can enter into peace. See, if you're not in a place of quiet trust in the Lord, if you don't have peace in your situation, then you need to contend to get there. Because if you try and rest before you're in agreement with God, you're not resting, you're ignoring the problem. You're just hoping it will go away. How can we truly have peace and rest in the Lord until we're thinking before we're thinking like he's thinking? All right, now let's return to our story of the Shunammite woman. And let's see how she got to her place of rest. Now, the story tells us that this boy became ill while he was out in the field with his father, and then his dad had a servant bring him home. So then let's read verse 20. It says, They took him to his mother, and he sat on her knees until noon, and then he died. Do you know, sometimes I think we read through these stories, we become familiar with them, and we just read the facts and we take all the emotions out of them. We don't want to do that today. We're going we're gonna to imagine what this must have been like. Let's put the emotion back in the story. This mama held her son on her lap until he died. And I believe that this one, one verse in scripture, one sentence in this story, is crucial to the outcome of her story. The Bible doesn't tell us what she was thinking while she sat there holding her son. But I believe that she was contending. And if I were to imagine how this might have played out, I'm going to show you how I think it would look. Now understand, this will be a condensed version. I'm going to do in about two minutes what I think likely this woman uh, maybe took a couple of hours to went through. But this is how I think it might have looked. Okay, she's holding her son on her lap. God, God, please heal my son. Please heal him. I know you can. There's nothing too hard for you, God. It's oh, not getting any better. In fact, it looks like he's getting worse. God, it looks like he's going to die. Do something. You know what, Lord? I didn't ask you for this child. When I put the room on my home, I did it to serve the prophet. I didn't do it to get something for myself. I was fine without children. I had learned to be content. But then Elisha came, and he prophesied that I would have a child, and you blessed me with this son, and I have never been so happy. And it would be very cruel now for you to take this blessing away from me after such a short time of having him. But see, that's the thing. You're not cruel. You're good. Cruelty isn't in your nature. You are a God of love and faithfulness and kindness. I've learned so much about you from the prophet ever since he came to our home and started telling stories. In fact, I remember a story. He said that Elijah, his mentor, 
raised a woman's son from the dead. Who, who could ever imagine such a thing? No one's ever been raised from the dead before. But Elisha said that you did that for this woman, and you know what? If you do it for her, you'll do it for me. There's nothing too hard for you. I can see now that my child has died. But I can't accept this as the end of the story. I can't. I'm going to go out and find the man of God, and I'm going to bring him back here. He'll know what to do. But Lord, I want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, this child is now in your hands and in the hands of the one who spoke for you when you promised this son to me. Might that be how it happened? I believe that this woman contended for her position of quiet trust in the Lord. And the story from this point on bears that out. Let's look at some indications that this is true. Verse 21, she went up, she laid her son on the the bed of the man of God, she shut the door on him, and she went out. All right? Again, not just facts here. What was she doing? She was putting the ball in Elisha's court. See, she put her child on his bed. Then she shut the door on her problem, and she went out looking for the answer. She wasn't going to let grief stop her. And listen, she would have felt the emotions, but she didn't want them to stop her from getting her miracle. So she had full control over her emotions at this point. Then the Bible says she called for her husband. She said, I need to go and see the man of God. He said, why are you going today? And what was her answer? It is well. Do you know, from this story, it would seem like this woman had a stronger faith than her husband did. We constantly see her taking the lead in spiritual matters. And when Elisha wanted to thank this couple for their kindness to him, who did he call? He didn't call for the man, he called for the woman. So likely she had a stronger faith and likely she didn't expect her husband to respond in faith. So she didn't tell him what was happening. Do you see, it was a kindness to him too. She didn't want to put something in front of him that he wasn't capable of having a faith-filled response to. Not only did that benefit him, it benefited her. Because if she had to rehash the whole story, go through all of the gruesome details of what was going on, and and see his reaction to what was going on, then try and get herself back to a place of faith, that's very, very difficult to do. So she she just spoke faith. She just said, all is well. And she didn't just do that with her husband, she did it with Gehazi. All right, when Elijah saw... Her coming from a distance, he said to his servant, verse 26, run now and meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. Now, all was not well in the natural. If we just evaluated what was going on here based only on the facts of the situation, then this woman was lying big time. But we're not talking about natural facts. We're talking about what was going on in her heart. And in her heart, all was well. And she refused to say anything that contradicted that faith. Now, finally, she gets to Elisha. Now the natural facts get addressed. Now the grief comes out. But look at her words here. Because she didn't come up to Elisha and immediately say, I need your help. My son died. 
No, look what she said. She said in verse 28, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I say don't deceive me? What she's saying here is, she's reminding Elisha that the very existence of this boy was his doing, and therefore this miracle was his responsibility. And Elisha took responsibility, sort of. He sent Gehazi to deliver a miracle. But then again, we see the woman saying, nope, that's not good enough. See, Gehazi went where Elisha went, which, mean, which means when he was a guest in her, and Elisha was a guest in her home, so was Gehazi. So this woman knew he's not going to get the job done. She wanted Elisha's faith. She didn't want a substitute. So again, we see her saying to him, you know what? I'm not going home unless you go with me. And she got what she asked for. Elisha went with her, prayed for her son, raised him from the dead. She got her son back, and she got the honor of having her story written in the pages of the Bible. What an honor. So that you and I can read it and learn from it. Now, twice in this story, while the woman's son still lay dead in her home, she used the phrase, it is well. And this word well here is the Hebrew word shalom. And if you've heard that word before, and likely you have, then you know that it means perfect peace. So this woman was saying in the midst of her greatest tragedy, my heart is in perfect peace. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. Now, this is what we want to be able to declare when we're in the midst of a trial. We want to be able to say and have our minds immediately default to, he is my God, and I trust him. See, that's what it means when we say it is well. That is how we have peace in the midst of a storm, just like Jesus did. How do we get there? Well, verse 1 tells us, Verse 1 says, it's those who live in the shelter of the Almighty. They're the ones that find rest. This word live here is the Hebrew word yeshab. It means to sit down, to dwell, to remain, to settle, to abide, to continue, to lurk. So it's those who live in his presence. They're the ones who find peace, not the ones who just occasionally visit his presence. So if you're just going to church on the weekends, visiting God's presence for a while, but then never thinking about him, again, for the rest of the week, you're not living in his presence. We need to abide there. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That phrase, perfect peace, is the same Hebrew word shalom, that we have been talking about here. So this is saying here that the person whose mind is stayed, remains, abides, focuses on God, they are the ones who get to say, it is well. All right, so this begs the question in closing. Where does your mind well? Where does your mind stay? Are your thoughts lurking around your circumstances. Have you in your mind plopped yourself down in the middle of your problem where you can easily pull forward all of the facts of your situation and examine them often? 
looking at them, analyzing them, trying to use your intellect to decide how you're going to plan and plot and scheme to change this situation. Is that where your thoughts go? Or do you continue to focus on the Lord? Do you return often to his word, putting it in front of your eyes, reminding yourself what he said, letting it come out of your mouth? Do you have a continual dialogue with God in prayer? Do you know that's that's like acknowledging his presence with you throughout the day when you just constantly talk to him? Do you praise him constantly thinking about his goodness and his greatness and his power and his ability? Is that where your mind stays? Charles Stanley said, God's voice is still and quiet and easily buried under an avalanche of clamor. Do you know God is always speaking? Always leading, always guiding, always strengthening, always encouraging. What is he doing? Inviting you into his rest. But if you focus so much on the clamor of the avalanche of your circumstances, you won't hear him. All right, so we need our thoughts to sit down with him. We need our thoughts to be mindful of the things of God. We need to not trust in our own works, but trust in the finished work of Christ. Now, if you live like this, peace will come. But see, trouble will still come too. Trouble will come and it present itself to you and it will try and entice you out from under that shelter by showing you pictures or speaking words to you about your situation and trying to get you to come out and leave that place of peace. But if you will contend for your right to stay in that shelter, you will live in perfect peace. And people will look at you and say, what in the world is wrong with you? You, Why aren't you panicking? And you'll be able to say with sincerity, you'll really mean it, it is well. See, he is my God, and I trust him. Amen? Amen? God, I pray blessings over your daughters. Lord, I just ask that you help us to contend in faith, to get our thoughts to line up with your thoughts. And God, we just thank you for the peace that will surely follow that contending. God, we just commit to want to live in your peace and just have quiet trust in you and be able to say in every situation, it is well. You are our God and we trust you. Amen.